Good morning. I don't know if y'all felt that. After we had communion and we were singing about worthy is the lamb, holy, holy. I really felt it in here. Thank you for that. Um, we started this series last week. Patrick started this series um, called Wonder. We're trying to get us to not really understand God, but, but to... Um, be amazed at what he does. Um, I think that things are all relative, and I think that's a good way to, to look at things. I think it's kind of a motto in my life. So moved up here a little over two months ago, uh, and in the south, it's pretty warm. Uh, and so my wife got this picture sent to her, and it says, you may not be able to read it all, but in the, in the south, they get a quarter inch of snow, and they're like, oh, no, it's the end of the world. Everything has, has got to be, you know, everybody inside, the world has come to an end. But in the north, it's like, okay, time to go to work. <laughs> and I, I've noticed that. I mean, we lived up here for years before. But, but to the people in the south, a quarter inch of snow is a horrible deal. But here, you can get a foot of snow, and it, it doesn't change anything. And uh, you've been, I've, been, I've been shoveling snow the last couple of weeks up here and at my house, and that's good. It's the only exercise I get in the winter, so I'm thankful for that. But it is different. And, but people in the South who've never lived up here, I, I, talking to my mom yesterday, I was up here and I was talking to my mom yesterday, and I said, how are you doing? She's had some troubles in her surgery, and she says, I'm doing good. It's sunshiny outside. Feel good. I, and I texted back, and I said, it's sunshiny here, too. It's 14 degrees and falling, but it's sunshiny here, too. <laughs> and, you know, she doesn't understand. So she just says, ugh, you know, she just, she can't. But it's really not, yesterday was really not bad. No wind, sunshine. So they don't understand. It's hard to relate to. Um, okay. Whatever happened to our monitors evidently happened. I'm going to need your help, I guess. All right. So some people think uh, LeBron James is a good basketball player. And, um, and he is. I mean, whether he's the best, he used to be the best or not, he's still in that realm of the best, so, so people think of him as a good basketball player. Next slide, though. Uh, is this a good basketball player? The, the one on the right, Liam, probably is. <laughs> the, the guy on the left, I'm not so sure about. I, I guess it's all relative, right? It is, it is all relative. Here's my point. Next slide. So uh, if Patrick, this is Patrick, by the way, when I was up here a couple of months ago, Patrick showed a younger picture of me. Younger is relative. So I'm showing a younger picture of Patrick this morning. Uh, if Patrick was this age playing Liam in basketball, then it might, he, he might win. So whether Patrick, at least Patrick, although he might not be a good basketball player, he is a good preacher, relatively speaking. <laughs> All right. We, we are moving on. The problem is, when we're talking about God, the, the, the problem is sometimes that we try to relate God to ourselves. I'm going to be talking this morning about God's power, God's patience, God's righteousness, God's justice. And when we talk about those things, many times we relate that to ourselves. 
and that causes us to really not understand God. So next slide, please. Uh, it's not all relative. I think it's a good motto to say it's all relative, and then that way we can deal with things that happen and things that come up. But sometimes there are things that are beyond our realm. And when we're talking about God's righteousness and justice and patience and impartiality and those things, it's so far out of our realm that it causes us to not understand God, I think. Um, to, to give you an example, so it's different. So uh, I was playing disc golf with my son Luke a couple of years ago in Texas. Um, he throws one. I want to make sure this is on tape. He throws one into the trees, across the road into the trees. I, we start looking for it, and we get in there, and there's poison ivy everywhere. I've never been allergic to poison ivy. All my life, never had one issue. We'd walk through the woods. My friends would get it. I would never get it. They'd be, I'd never had a problem. So I said, all right, I'll look for your disc. And I'm in shorts and a T-shirt, and I'm brushing the poison ivy away, and I'm walking through there looking for that disc, and I can't find it. And I'm looking for it for 20 minutes probably doing that. Never been allergic to poison ivy in my life. I come down with poison ivy. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm, you know, because I've lived many decades and never had a problem. And so I don't, I have to go to the, I go to the doctor, which I never go to the doctor either. But I go to the doctor and I said, what happened? He said, we all have a threshold. You happen to finally, for the first time in your life, cross over that threshold. So I like to think of myself as a patient guy. But, you know, I have a threshold, and we all do, right? And a lot of times my threshold, my kids cross that threshold at some point. This is what I'm talking about. So you may be the most patient person in the world, and it, you, you're not in the realm of God's patience. And so when we compare God's righteousness or God's patience with ourselves, we end up in a troubled spot. So let's, let's look at Job 37, 23. We cannot imagine the power of the Almighty, but even though he is just and righteous, he does not destroy us. We cannot imagine. It's not in our realm. Sometimes we view God and we see him up there. He's, he's, he's angry. He's lashing out in anger, and he's... he's bringing that anger to what's happening down here. James 1, 19 and 20 says this, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be all quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There is a difference between God's anger and mine. There, there is a difference, and sometimes... We, who become angry at whatever we become angry with, we try to put that on God, and we try to say God is angry. No, I don't think we understand. Patrick said last week, next slide, Patrick said last week, wonder is not just the acknowledgement that God is powerful, loving, or good, but that he is those things beyond our comprehension. And that's, that's part of what we're going to focus on this morning.
Um, but I'd like to pray first. Father, we want to bless your name. We praise your name. We want everything we do to be pleasing to you. Father, as we look at your scripture, look at what you have written to us, I pray that we will be in wonder of all the things you have done and all the things that you do now rather than question and complain. Father, speak to this audience and speak to me, speak to our hearts so that we understand you more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. If I do my job well this morning, you're going to leave here not understanding one more thing about God than when you came in. But maybe you're going to wonder about him more. I want to, uh, as, I, as I thought about this topic and God's righteousness, God's judgment, God's patience, God's impartiality, I thought about a lesson from the life of Job. Uh, and, and, and so we wonder about that. God's lesson from the life of Job. Job was very wealthy. And God said to Satan, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan said, yeah, I've seen Job, but he is only faithful to you because you've blessed him so much. And God says, no, I don't think so. So you know what? I'll let you take all of those blessings away. Just don't kill him. And Satan says, okay. And then they do that. And then Job has three friends come visit him. And Job's three friends say, hey, all these bad things that have happened to you because of your sin. You must have done something wrong. And Job says, no, I haven't done anything wrong. And they say, well, you must have. And that debate goes back and forth for about till chapter 32. In chapter 32, Elihu comes into the picture. And Elihu is a young man. Sometimes, this is just a side, sometimes we can learn from our young people. Right? Can I hear amen? All right. Thank you. Sometimes our young people have a better perspective on things than we do. Elihu was a young man, and he says, it says in chapter 32 that he was young and he was waiting. But he doesn't like the three friends, what their response is, and he doesn't like Job's response. So he jumps in, and he begins to defend God, and he says things. And he starts out, you know, Job's complaining because he's talking to God, and he feels like God's not answering. And in chapter 33, Elihu says, God does speak. He just may not speak in the way you want him to, or he may not say the things you're asking him for, but God does speak. And then in chapter 34, go to chapter 34 of these slides, and I'm going to read through these verses. I'm going to skip a couple in between, but we're going to read through these verses in Job chapter 34 to understand um, the situation. Listen to me. This is Elihu speaking to Job. Listen to me, you who have understanding. Everyone knows that God doesn't sin. The Almighty can do no wrong. All right, next slide. Truly, God will not do wrong. The Almighty will not twist justice. Did someone else put the world in his care? Who set the whole world in place? If God were to take back his spirit and withdraw his breath, all life would cease and humanity would turn again to dust. We'll stop at this one. Now listen to me if you are wise. Pay attention to what I say. Could God govern if he hated justice? Are you going to condemn the almighty judge? 
Job had a problem because of the suffering that he was going through. Job had a problem with God's righteousness and justice. He felt like everything that was happening to him, happening to him was undeserved. And Elihu was saying, you know, Job, you can't, I don't think you should question God. You know, I've heard people say that it's all right to question God, and I believe it is. But, better be careful. Because what happens is we begin to think what our desires are should be what God does. And God is doing so much that we do not understand. And so I really believe that what Eli, Elihu, by the way, is the only person that's not rebuked in Job for saying the wrong thing. The three friends and Job, God rebuked. Elihu is not ever rebuked because of what he is saying uh, is true. Not only is God righteous and just, but as we see in the next verse, he's impartial. For he says to kings, you are wicked, and to nobles, you are unjust. He doesn't care how great a person may be, and he pays no more attention to the rich than to the poor. He made them all. Our God is completely impartial. Are you completely impartial? I'm not. I want to think I am, but I'm not. Again, a completely different realm. God's impartiality and man's impartiality. And Elihu is saying, when God delivers justice or when God delivers blessings, it has nothing to do with who he is talking to. Um, go to Job uh, 34:33. Must God tailor his justice to your demands? Elihu asked Job. Must God tailor his justice to your demands? Again, we're getting things backwards. We're talking to God. We're asking him to do something. We're asking him what we want, what we think is best. And God knows so much more than we do. You know, he shouldn't tailor his justice to our command. So, so we get confused. But Job was suffering. And God said he was faithful. This becomes more of a test than punishment. The judgment that Job is suffering is more of a test than a punishment. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That's not easy to hear. Uh, I know that um, I've been really blessed. I know that I haven't had to suffer a whole lot. Um, my dad died when I was a teenager. That made it difficult in some ways. When we were here years ago, Zeke, was, who's 20 years old now, was probably about eight. I had a little Bible study with him on every Saturday morning. And one Saturday morning, we're at the table having a little Bible study together. He's, maybe he was nine. I can't remember now. And his right arm started shaking. Like that. And he grabbed it with his left arm. And he put it under the table. I said, what did you just do? And he said, oh, sometimes it does that. I said, what? Sometimes it does what? 
and he said, well, sometimes it starts shaking. Well, this had been going on for months, and he had never told me or Tina. And so, you know, it happens again. I call the doctor, and he says, well, you know, it could be a number of things. Maybe if it happens again, take a video, you know, just kind of so we kind of know what we're dealing with. Well, it happened again that morning. I took a video. I called the doctor. He says, probably should bring him in. So I take him in to the doctor's office, the clinic there by children's. And he checks him out. He's thinking, oh, you know, everything. Well, then it happened in the doctor's office, and the doctor saw him, and the doctor said, he's going to the emergency room. And he goes to the emergency room at Children's, and then, you know, a team of doctors, and, you know, they start hooking wires up, and he does all these tests, he gets, and they find something in his brain. And they don't know what it is, and we don't know what it is. And this is Saturday, Saturday night, you know, he's in the hospital. We come here Sunday morning, he's still in the hospital. And, you know, people are asking me, what, and I'm, I'm like, well, okay, if God was God Friday, Saturday morning before I knew this what's going on with my son then he's still God today that's all I know I don't know what's going to happen I don't know what's going on but he didn't cease being God because now something is hard it turned out to be neurocystic sarcosis but I'll explain that to you later if you ask me was not a tumor uh, it was a parasite lodged in his brain he, he had swelling on the brain that's what was causing the seizures they got seizures under the control. He ended up not having to do surgery, and he just went through MRIs every month and swelling and just, and then after a, a year or two, he had to, he, he quit taking medicine for that, and he's fine. Um, but again, w if that was something that turned out to be worse, again, God is still God. All right. Um, if our attitude is like Job, then we're not as humble before God as we should be. So in Job chapter 35, 12 through 14, and when they cry out, God does not answer because of their pride, but it is wrong to say God doesn't listen, to say the Almighty isn't concerned. You say you can't see him, but he will bring justice if you only wait. Job is saying, I'm crying out. God's not concerned. He's not answering me. I'm still going through this suffering. And Elihu is defending God and saying, he is concerned. He will answer, but you may have to wait. Elihu continues to defend Job. Job. One of the things that I want to point out at this point in Scripture, you remember what God said, Satan in chapter 1, what Satan said? Satan said, if you take all these things away from him, he will not be faithful to you. Job is really close to not being faithful to God at this point. He's questioned and complained and doesn't understand in such a strong way that he's really close to doing what Satan said he would do. But he doesn't. Uh, next chapter, chapter 36, verses 30 through 32, talks about God's power and purposes. See how he spreads the lightning around him and how it lights up the depths of the sea. But by these mighty acts, he nourishes the people, giving them food in abundance. He fills his hands with lightning bolts and hurls each at its target. I, I love going to the Boundary Water. It's my favorite place on earth. Haven't been in a few years, and I'm looking forward to going back there. I used to take the urban ministry kids there, young men, and we were on one trip beside a beautiful lake, beautiful tall pine trees in our tents, and a storm comes. Bad storm. Uh, lots of lightning, lots of thunder, and you know how the thunder and lightning, you know, 
close together. You see the lightning, hear the thunder, or the seconds in between, you know how far away that lightning is. It was loud. You could hear the lightning. It was that loud. We were in our tents, and those young men were scared. And I was just like them. Um, and then I thought of this passage of scripture and Chris Tomlin's song, Indescribable, where he has a line in there that says, God determines where every lightning bolt should go. And all of a sudden I, I had peace and I said, okay, he's in control. He knows. I, I mean, I was scared to death. I've never been in quite that kind of situation. And I, you know, scared lightning's going to hit us, scared a tree's going to fall on us, fall on a tent. There's, there was nowhere to go. And yet, you think of this, and you think of God's power and his control, and you then say, okay, I can trust God. God is very powerful. Chapter 37, next chapter, we're going to read verses 9 through 13, uh, these two slides. The stormy wind comes from its chamber, and the driving winds bring the cold. God's breath sends the ice, freezing wide expanses of water. See, you can relate to that up here. He loads the clouds with moisture, and they flash with his lightning. The clouds churn about at his direction. They do whatever he commands throughout the earth. He makes these things happen either to punish people or to show his unfailing love. The storms, the rain, all of that. Elihu says God can do that to punish people or to show his unfailing love. I hate it when people, when, when they see a hurricane, when they see a storm, when they see something, tsunami, and they say, God did that to punish people. I don't hate it because God doesn't do that. I hate it because we don't know. We're not God. We can't know why or how or when or we don't understand God's purposes. A different realm. We try to relate to it. We try to relate to it in our minds, but we can't. I was reading an author who said, uh, the tsunami in day after Christmas, 2004, 15 years ago, the one in the Pacific that killed 250,000 people. I had friends in Thailand that went down to help. Uh, most of the deaths were, uh, many of them, India. He, he writes, he's teaching at a school, and that next semester there is an Indian woman in his class who went through it. All of her family survived. She tells a story about how they were persecuted by Muslims. The Muslims, through persecution and violence, had taken their land next to the sea, the good land, and pushed them back up into the hills. The tsunami comes, wipes out almost all of those people, uh, destroys the homes for sure. But a preacher, Christian, you know, you, you, you have this temptation to say, ah, see what God did? 
he did that to punish those people. We don't know that. So what did the preacher do? The preacher, in his wisdom, said, this is our opportunity. This is our opportunity to go serve those Muslim people and help them, even though they had done that to us. One thing we do know is that Suffering provides us opportunity, and maybe God is trying to use his megaphone. Last verse, Job 37, 23 through 24. This is truly amazing. We cannot imagine the power of the Almighty, but even though he is just and righteous, he does not destroy us. That's where we started. This is what's amazing. Next verse, no wonder people everywhere fear him, and all who are wise show him reverence. It is truly amazing that God cares about us. We talked about it in Bible class this morning. Why? Why, would, why does he? Why did he send Jesus? God, who is incomparable, unapproachable, made himself so accessible to us through Jesus. Why? That's what we should wonder about. You, you think about the old covenant and, and how people felt like they had to go to the temple to worship God. And then non-Jews weren't allowed to go, you know, as close to the temple. And then even the Jews weren't allowed to go, like, inside the temple where the high priest himself was able to. And yet, through Jesus, God makes himself even more accessible. New covenant. Holy Spirit comes to live within us. His presence is with us always. Speaks to us. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, if you really knew me, you would know the Father. And Philip says, Jesus, show us the Father. Because, see, from his perspective, he, there, God is so far away and unapproachable, holy and pure, unlike us, that Philip just says, like, show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That curtain in the temple at the death of Jesus, was ripped top to bottom. Never put back. Temple was destroyed. Never rebuilt. Because God has made himself so accessible to us that he has gives his spirit to live inside us. All right, let's move on. God will do right. Next thing. Don't pretend you have all the answers. So Job thought he had all the answers, thought he understood, compares you know, his knowledge with God's. We don't know. 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 12 says, I know for now, I know in part, then I shall know fully. The then is 
heaven. Read it in the context. When, when I see Jesus face to face, when's that going to be? In heaven. So now we know in part. Don't pretend we know it all. Trust God. Be full of wonder, which leads us to our last point. Fear God. Hold him in awe. And then be filled with that holy wonder. I don't want you to leave here this morning like Job was at first. Read the rest of Job. He finally gets it. Um, I don't want you to leave here this morning like Job criticizing God, thinking, you know, we don't understand how he works or God's process of judgment because we don't. I want you to leave here this morning in awe and wonder at the fact that God sent his son Jesus to die in your place and mine. That's truly amazing. We're going to um, celebrate that. Um, we have a young lady, Ruth, who's going to, who wants to be baptized. She just showed up last week. Uh, and, and she's in the Hispanic service, and, and she's been talking with people, and, and we're going to baptize her when this service is over. So uh, we'll, we'll make our way into the other room and get ready for that. And I was talking with her, and she said, I said, How, what, what caused you to come to this decision? And she said, I, I've been reading scripture, and I've been thinking. It's almost like Cornelius, because she said, I just felt God's spirit in his presence tell me. And so that's what I want to do, and I want my life to change from this point forward. So that is what we should be in awe and wonder about. I'm going to lead us in a closing prayer. Holy God and Father, we are amazed, we are in awe that you are concerned about us, that you care about us, that you love us enough to send your son Jesus. You are patient with us. You do not destroy us as our sins deserve. Father, I pray that we will, this week, this season, for the rest of our lives, be in awe and wonder about how you have made yourself so accessible and done what you've done. But, Father, I pray that we will live our lives for you, that we will put you first, that we will forget about our desires and our perspective, and we will grow more and more to understand everything from your perspective. Help us do that, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.